Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Because we got the alternative energy on nuclear free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello, my name's Mara. On this week's Radioactive Show, we hear recordings from the Keep Western Australia Uranium-Free public meeting held at Friends of the Earth on 13th of March 2019. This show was recorded on Wurundjeri land and produced on Ghana land. We'll hear from Conservation Council of WA's nuclear-free community campaigner and one of my fellow Rad Show producers, K.A. Garlic. K.A. talks about the campaign to keep the uranium at four proposed sites in Western Australia in the ground. Then we'll hear from Friends of the Earth's National Nuclear Free Campaigner, Dr Jim Green. Jim explains and myths busts small modular reactors and gives us another reason to keep uranium in the ground. First, we'll hear from K.A. Garlic from the Conservation Council of WA. I too would like to pay my respects to the Wiradjuri people of this land and the place that we meet on and that sovereignty is never ceded. And also to A's Collective Thanks for hosting us tonight to share this information. This year we are celebrating 10 years since we have kept uranium in the ground since the Barnett government overturned um, the ban on uranium. It was a ban on uranium uh, mining in Western Australia. The Barnett, the Liberal government came in, they overturned that ban and that's when the exploration started and the the push for the mines to open up. Um, And so when the Labor government came in in a bittersweet move it was... um, yeah, that's what Labor had inherited, that the four mines had been approved um, under state and federal um, approval, except Yuliri. Yuliri hasn't got um, federal approval yet. They've got state, state approval only, and it's the court case that is holding, holding that federal approval, approval up. So um, for us, our campaign is, to, of course, to, to stop the, the four proposed uranium mines in Western Australia... Um, it's also to, to try and legislate a permanent ban on um, uranium mining in Western Australia. And that's where um, the Western Australian, or there's a ban uranium mining permanently collective that um, does a lot of the grassroots uh, campaign work with the traditional owners really solidly, um, organises walks out in these areas. So I'll just take you through... Um, each of the site and where we're up to. And if there's any questions, I think we're a small enough group to just jump in and ask any questions that you need um, clarifying on. Or, But I'll go up to um, Kintyre up here um, on Maru country. Um, and Kintyre is owned by Kamiko and Mitsubishi, uh, 70% by Kamiko and uh, Mitsubishi. And, and the Maru people have long time been saying no against uranium mining up on their, up on their country. <coughs> 2016, we did a walk um, up in that area, um, the Carlabilly Walk, and we walked through that country, and it was an amazing experience to to meet the traditional owners, and Curtis Taylor, who is a young um, activist, father, um, artist, who does a lot of work for his people to keep uranium in the ground, they did a beautiful painting. When we got to the, the gates of Kintai, they unfurled this beautiful picture that nine elders did that's called Kalu in Maru and it means water. And they unfurled this beautiful painting that they um, 
painted um, and that depicted their responsibility to keep water clean because up there there's a lake system that's above ground and an underground um, water system that they want to keep clean from uranium mining and protect their country. And that was, that, that's one of their biggest things is the water consumption and the contamination that happens from uranium mining that they feel responsible to protect their land from for future generations. Um, but Kintyre recently, I, I don't know how long ago, a couple of years ago, um, wrote off um, the value of um, Kintyre to zero. Um, so it, it, it may, it's sitting up there um, and it's been excised in the 80s. It was excised out of the National Park because they wanted the uranium up there. Um, but now the Māori people are saying, give us back our land and bring it back into the National Park and so that we can take care of the land up there. And there's a big um, push for that and it's a continuing um, campaign um, and they're, they're in the process of doing another painting um, and a big project coming out um, this year uh, to, to paint again their land and ask for their land back from, from Cameco. So that'll be interesting to watch where, what happens with that with that mine up in Kintyre. Um, we'll go down south to Waluna that's owned by, uh, fully owned by Toro Energy. It's a small Western Australian company that um, has not much financial backing but it's also a really small company. It hasn't got any um, experience in uranium mining um, but last year at their AGM had also um, not written it off but just said because of the price of uranium um, it is it's not going anywhere and they're actually, in fact, um, exploring for gold up in that area. It's better known, that area, where we are as the gold fields of Western Australia. Lots of gold in the area. So that's where Waluna is at the moment. So both of those, Kintyre and Waluna, we're just keeping a, a check on and making sure nothing comes through for those ones. And as we go a bit further south, um, west to Yaliri, um, that's where... Um, the court case is being held, it's on dual land um, and it's native title holder, three native title holder women um, and the Conservation Council of Western Australia are taking the Western Australian Government and Cameco. Cameco own Yaliri as well um, and they we're in court at the moment, we were last Tuesday, we're in the Court of Appeal so there was a Supreme Court action that happened last year against the decision of um, Yaliri environmental approval. So the Liberal government at the time, um, the Environment Minister Albert Jacobs, approved Yaliri knowingly um, that it would cause extinction of unique subterranean species. Um, and that's what we're challenging on um, the, the Western Australian government and Cameco. Um, so that's where we're at at the moment. We've had the Court of Appeals and we've got to wait um, until and, and they decide on what's going to happen with that one. That campaign has been going for over 40 years. Um, the, the, one of the, Shirley Wanyabong, who is one of the applicants on the court case, has been fighting for over 40 years to keep the uranium in the ground out there. And so, yeah, just want to acknowledge um, Shirley, but also the women on the, you know, after, you know, International Women's Day, we've just celebrated, but it's, you know, Women's Day every day for us out there working with these people because they're the, they're the ones that have been at the forefront of the campaign and they continue to be at the forefront of the campaign to stop uranium mining out on their country. Um, 
So Yaliri is also part of the Seven Sisters Dreaming. That's their that's their significant cultural sites out there. We've walked out there for the last <coughs> eight years to um, in solidarity with the, the communities and people that have said no to uranium mining out there. So um, and that's been great over the eight eight years that we've walked out there to build that solidarity and relationships and and so that we can support them as much as we can because we're. You know, we're a thousand, nearly, or more than a thousand kilometres away from them and we, we're in Perth trying to fight the fight and um, so it's really good to have built those relationships up with, with the women and the community out there. Um, and then we come down to uh, Mulga Rock, which is just down outside, 260 k's outside of um, Kalgoorlie and that's owned by a company called Vimy Resources with the backing of Andrew Forrest, and that's what they promote, is that they've got financial um, backing, and they, they are a small company, as, again, like Toro, they've never um, had experience in uranium mining, but this is probably, Mulga Rock, behind the scenes, probably our biggest threat. Um, they do not acknowledge traditional owners of that country, they are um, quite aggressive in the way they're campaigning, um, and at the moment, there is a, um, we have a we're we're asking the EPA to reassess their project because last year at the AGM we did a, a shareholder activism <coughs> and in the in the papers that they give to the shareholders it came out that they're not doing a what they were approved to do was a base metals plant they're now saying that they want to do a sulfuric acid plant which is a um, quite a big difference in what they were approved. Mm -hmm. So we're asking the EPA and the Minister for Environment to reassess this project. As well, this project is a, a women's site and, um, and it's quite significant in the whole of the um, history of Australian um, uh, anti-nuke campaign is that the people of um, Mulgar Rock in this area had been pushed off their land for Maralinga and had been pushed off their land and had the Spinifex people had come down through and resided or, you know, stayed in the Mulga Rock area and over that time have claimed it as their, as their land, which rightly so, because they were pushed off um, from the, atomic, the British atomic tests um, Maralinga, in the time of Mar um, yeah, Maralinga. Um, so that's, that's the four campaigns and that's where we're up to in... in those areas um, and so but just going back to Yaliri and the Leonora community they're also facing um, well there's a push for one company to put um, the radioactive waste dump um, on their land um, which is 15 kilometres outside of Leonora. Last year after we walked and we walked from Waluna to Yaliri and then into Leonora over a one month walk um, last year we had a public meeting after the walk and then we took people out to the site because we have not been out to the site of where this company wants to put and is pushing um, and hoping that, and Dave will talk more and, and Jim on the, the waste dump campaign, they're pushing um, for Kimber and Hawker not to be approved, for Leonora to be approved um, for a waste dump. And it is on a floodplain, it's on beautiful land outside and there is opposition of course to that and traditional owners say no to a radioactive waste dump on their land. So um, that is also another area that we're watching really closely. So at the moment 
the price of uranium, and I think the, um, the 12th of March, which was just yesterday, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was the anniversary of Fukushima and um, you know and it's it's good on those um, days to reflect and acknowledge the people that are um, suffering still today um, from Australian uranium that was in, in at Fukushima and why we do what we do is because of the stories that are so um, devastating when those people have lost land and communities and are now facing radioactive waste um, you know for thousands of years. Um, so that's where we're at at Western Australia with the campaign. Um, as I said, 10 years in um, since Barnett overturned and we're still keeping it in the ground with the storage activism that is happening in Western Australia by lots and lots of people that have been around for a long time but also new people coming into the campaign um, and yeah, helping support the traditional owners out in, that, in those areas. Um, did you want to say you have a question? Um, do you have any sense of when a decision will be made with the Yuleri case? No, no. The legal team that supported so the Environmental Defenders Office um, and uh, Brett Walker represented us in court last Tuesday, um, and they say up to um, two two months, possibly longer, before we hear an answer on the on the court hearing. Um, because it's got to do with environment and this is one of the reasons is why we've taken it to court is to not only stop um, Yaliri and to and to listen to the traditional owners that have voiced their opposition to the mine but also to reform Western Australia's uh, Western Australian environmental laws and um, but because we don't have an environmental court um, a lot of the environmental um, court cases will get pushed back over other cases that are yeah more urgent, and so it could be up to yeah eight weeks before we hear before we hear an answer on that mm -hmm. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there uh, any time limits on uh, when they can up to when they develop the mine? Like, do they have to start by a certain period? Yeah, that's a really good question because that's one of the ones that. Um, Kintai is one we're facing in their approvals, and Dave might know a bit more about the approvals process, but when they've given approval, um, state approval, I believe it's five years, um, mm. that they have to start um, constructing, um, and the project, well, since it's been given ministerial sign-off, um, it's five years, and Kintai next year is up for... Um, you know, it'll be five years before that, that since that's been given approval. So that's something that we work with the Labor government to see what will happen around that time and to push that this is an opportunity for them to to not re um, be given extensions and, and approvals for it. Yeah, but we'll work with the um, government to see if they have started putting it in, um, putting in because it would be now that Cameco needs to start to push. The government on um, whether they they will get an extension on um, that approval and whether they can have more time. Um, yeah. So that's something that we'll be working with to not not allow those yeah that extension to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then with Holger Rock, there's the the reapplication that may need to happen because of the change of the nature of the mine that's proposed in Holger Rock too. Yeah, that's, that's right. To watch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just re yeah, pushing the government on not reassessing, um, or reassessing, sorry, reassessing Mulga Rock because it's a new project. So we've now, we, we got the information purely because we went through the um, Mulga Rock um, feasibility study that they had to do and, and give to their shareholders. And um, through that we saw that it was a change of project and went to the EPA, the Environmental Protection Authority, and, and said to them that this is a clear change of project. At them, the EPA said yes it is, so they said um, we um, submitted an appeal. It went to Vimy Resources that have come back to us in a very legalised term. Um, and thanks to people like Mia Pepper and Gavin, Dr Gavin Mudd, um, who are experts in, in these appeals and projects, that they could um, put in a very significant, and the EDO, sorry, um, as well, that they put in, which is the stage that we're up to, um, against what Vimy Resources have, have put in and said that we need to reassess this new project. Yeah, from all the ones, yeah. yeah, that's where we're at. Oh, keeping it in the ground. So I think that's, unless there's any other questions. And there's, isn't there, there's a, you can donate to the Yuliri Legal Talent. Yeah, you can. Yeah, we've got a Raisley page um, up and running. Um, we've had huge amounts of public um, support and uh, for the campaign already. But court cases are expensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, part of our campaign is to, to raise that money for the court case. There are four proposed uranium mines in Western Australia, Mulga Rock, Waluna, Kintyre and Yaliri. Uranium mining is different to other mines. It takes away clean water and leaves behind toxic radioactive mine waste. Uranium is shipped overseas to be used as fuel for dangerous nuclear reactors. On a good day, uranium ends up as high-level nuclear waste. On a bad day, it ends up as nuclear fallout or nuclear weapons. Uranium is unsafe unwanted and uneconomic. Each of the four proposed uranium mines in WA has been met with strong community opposition and each one is home to rare and threatened species. Mulga Rock is in the Queen Victoria Desert and is home to the Sandhill Dunart, Marsupial Mole, the Mulgra and the beautiful migratory Rainbow Bee Eater. This pristine environment is a sanctuary for these vulnerable species but is under threat from Vimy Resources' plan to mine uranium. At Waluna, a unique desert lake system is under threat from Toro Energy's uranium mine proposal, which would involve mining across two salt lakes. Toro's plan is to leave 50 million tonnes of radioactive mine waste on the edge of Lakeway in an area which periodically floods. The Kintyre uranium deposit was carved out of the Kalamili National Park to allow for mining. Kamiko and Mitsubishi want to mine uranium in this fragile desert ecosystem, putting 28 threatened species at risk, including the northern quoll, greater bilby, crest-tailed mulgra, marsupial mole and the rock wallaby. Kamiko also want to mine uranium at Yaliri. The WA Environmental Protection Authority found that the project would make up to 11 unique species extinct. Because of the threat of extinction, they advised the mine be rejected. The former Environment Minister ignored the advice and approved the mine. This flawed approval is now being contested in court by the Conservation Council of WA and three traditional owners to stop extinction and protect this special country. WA is under threat from one of the world's dirtiest industries 
Our shared energy future is renewable, not radioactive. Join the campaign to keep our unique environment cleaner, healthier and nuclear-free. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard from the Conservation Council of WA's nuclear-free community campaigner, K.A. Garlic, about the impressive campaign to keep uranium in four proposed sites in Western Australia in the ground. K.A.'s speech was followed by the audio from the amazing short animation you can find at www.ccwa.org.au slash nuclearfreewa. Next, we'll hear the speech given by Friends of the Earth Dr Jim Green about small modular reactors at the public meeting held at Friends of the Earth on 13th of March 2019. Um, I'm just going to speak for a few minutes, I think. Um, unless he gets onto isotopes. Unless I get onto isotopes, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm South Australian and I've lived in Victoria for a long time, so it, I hate to say it, but West Australians really do do things better and it's been incredible that you've kept <laughs> uranium in the ground. Come on over, come on over. It could, uh, it could so easily have worked out differently and it's a real testament to a huge amount of hard work from lots of people. Um, I want to talk, my talk is mostly good news and it's about nuclear power around the world which obviously reflects directly back on Australian uranium. Um, ten years ago we were in a world of pain. There was not only a lot of talk about a nuclear power renaissance, but they were actually generating some momentum. The number of nuclear power reactors under construction jumped sharply from about 2008 to 2011. Um, so they did have some momentum and it was possible that they were going to have a, a nuclear renaissance, i.e. a sustained and significant growth in nuclear power. Uh, but that all fell apart, firstly because of the global financial crisis, secondly because of the Fukushima disaster, and thirdly because of some catastrophic cost overruns building new reactors. And I'll talk about those cost overruns because they're mind-boggling and almost unbelievable. In South Carolina, in the US, uh, Westinghouse and other companies started to build some react two reactors there. They spent almost 13 billion Australian dollars and gave up on the project because they were so far away from being finished and they didn't have any money and they weren't prepared to risk it. So 13 billion dollars, 13,000 million dollars for a few piles of metal and a few holes in the ground. And Westinghouse went bankrupt and Westinghouse's parent company also almost went bankrupt because of that. And keep in mind that Westinghouse is by far the biggest nuclear company in the world ever. Rough, uh, roughly 50% of the world's reactors have got Westinghouse technology in them. So for a company to go like, to, like that to go bankrupt was just extraordinary. There's one other cons- reactor... Cons- and also the parent company is Toshiba. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And in Georgia, in the US, that's the state where the the only other construction project is ongoing in the US, and they're still limping along with that project, but the latest cost estimate for that is 40 billion Australian dollars for two reactors, so 20 billion dollars per reactor. And there's a huge amount of pressure to give up on those reactors as well, not only from the usual suspects, but also from companies that are contracted to buy the power from these reactors if they're ever built. They're the, those companies are putting up billboards now and trying to get the, get the project stopped. Uh, France and Finland, that's where the French companies are building reactors and uh, they're about 10 years behind schedule. 
and the cost for each of those reactors is about 17.5 billion Australian dollars. Uh, and there was been some real bombshells in the UK just recently where three proposed power reactor projects have been cancelled in the space of the past four months or so. And again, it's just had a devastating impact on on the industry there. Um, that they were be, they were planned to be built by Japanese companies Toshiba and Mitsubishi, but those companies and many others they're just not prepared to take these multi-billion-dollar gambles anymore. Um, and in the UK, one project is proceeding, but at such extraordinary expense that it's just going to stand out like a sore thumb and be a, a really good advertisement for the anti-nuclear movement, even, even if these reactors do proceed to operation. This is Hinkley Point C in Somerset, and the cost for those two reactors is $40 billion at the moment. So again, $20 billion per reactor. And they've only just started on these reactors, so that $40 billion figure doesn't include the inevitable cost overruns and the inevitable delays. Um, so the long and the short of that is if we're comparing renewables and nuclear, there's just no comparison anymore. There was a comparison 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, but these days renewables clearly win and easily win on economics, plus all their other advantages. They don't produce high-level nuclear waste. They can't be used to produce uh, weapons of mass destruction and so on. So there's a really stark contrast there. The economics of renewables versus fossil fuels, that's a lot more complicated, but um, I think and hope that we're getting to the point where, once again, there's a clear advantage for renewables, and that's where we'll see uh, more spectacular growth from renewables. Renewables have doubled over the past decade, so there's already been... Very significant growth, but if we get to that tipping point where renewables are clearly cheaper than fossil fuels in most of the countries around the world, then it will grow even faster. At the moment, renewables generate 2.7 times as much electricity as nuclear power reactors, and that gap's widening all the time. So that's mostly good news for those of us who are anti-nuclear. Um, and to bring that back to Australia and to the uranium industry... Well, firstly, the global uranium industry, it's just quite bizarre. I mean, really, the only demand for uranium is nuclear power reactors. So uh, uranium should follow the nuclear power market pretty closely, but it hasn't. Um, the uranium industry ramped up around the world in anticipation of this nuclear power renaissance, which never happened. So between 2007 and, and 2016, over that decade uranium production increased by 50%, even though nuclear power was stagnant. So the inevitable result of that was the uh, massive, massive stockpiles of uranium held by lots of countries and lots of companies around the world. And when you've got massive stockpiles, that puts a downward pressure on the price, and it has. The price has been horrendously low ever since the Fukushima disaster, really. And at the current price, there's absolutely no way in the world that any of these mines in Western Australia are going to fly, which is great. It gives us some, uh, some time. Uh, once again, that's good news. The price is so low that they're, it's, they're just not viable. But over the medium to long term, we can't be complacent because um, demand for uranium is likely to decline uh, either slowly or perhaps rapidly, but probably slowly. But as every mine closes, like at Ranger, Dave was saying they've stopped digging uranium there. 
you know, that's, that creates space for another mine to start up either in Australia or Kazakhstan or Canada or, or Africa or wherever. So there will be this turnover as, as mines are mined out. There'll be, there'll be a demand for, for new mines to come online. That could be in Western Australia. It could be elsewhere. Um, so that's why we need to be vigilant and keep fighting in Australia and keep supporting campaigns all around the world uh, and keep fighting on this broader front of pushing for renewables instead of both fossil fuels and nuclear. Um, but in the broad sweep of things, things are looking very promising now with, uh, with the economics of renewables, the economics of nuclear power uh, and with the growing movement against um, against the fossil fuel industry. So I think we can be pretty happy about that and I'll leave it there. Thanks so much to K.A. Garlic from the Conservation Council of WA and to Dr Jim Grain from Friends of the Earth for their wonderful insights and tireless efforts for a nuclear-free future. There's lots you can do to support the campaign to keep WA uranium-free. You can sign the Uranium Free Charter, donate to the Uliary Legal Action and more. You can find all the relevant links and information as well as a fabulous short animation explaining the issue at ccwa.org.au slash nuclearfreewa. If you'd like to learn more about small modular reactors or SMRs, there's an article in the March edition of The Ecologist written by Jim Green entitled An Obituary for Small Modular Reactors. You can find it at theecologist.org slash 2019 slash ma slash 11 slash obituary dash small dash modular dash reactors. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at 3cr.org.au slash radioactive. We'll post links relevant to today's show on the website and on our Facebook page. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced for 3CR, located on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria, and it's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Collective. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.